All right, this is the Coast to Coast Combat Hour. Uh, Ed Carbajal here with Matthew Hawkins, the eve before the eve of New Year's Eve. Uh, returning guest today is a marketing guru, he who walks behind the rows himself, and new managing editor of the Brawl Network, Hunter Homestack is back with us. Hunter, how are your holidays, man? Awesome, dude. Always good to get with family. You know, it was a little weird this year. I think it was weird for everybody this year. So it wasn't, you know, the normal powwow that it usually is, but it was a good time, man. And I, what I love the most is like how much my intro changes every time we're here. Like today I'm marketing guru and he who walks behind the rose. I think that part's constant, which I appreciate, but I like that I'm keeping it fresh and always moving, you know. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, you look to be getting back into the MMA world of media. Uh, why don't you tell the fans kind of some of the breaking news from the last couple of weeks? For sure, man. And I appreciate you guys having me on to discuss that. Funny enough, it was it was not something that I was looking for. You know, it came to me. Mm-hmm. I was I was doing my thing. I was kind of helping some local brands and things like that. Like you said, marketing guru. I have kind of a digital back digital marketing background as well as my background in journalism and specifically MMA journalism. So have all these different tools floating around and just the brawl network came to me actually and said that they were looking to launch an MMA podcast. And I just, it's it's one of those things, man. I'm sure you guys have gotten offers like this throughout where it's like, sometimes things just make sense. Like you, they didn't have to discuss the position any further than that. They said, we need an MMA podcast. If you can get a co-host, bring them instantly. My brain goes Dwayne Finley, old Bo, like this should have happened back at flow combat. I always felt like, like when we were rocking everything at flow combat and just jamming on all cylinders and just grooving. I always felt like we should have had a podcast or something similar, but like the minutia of the day-to-day job, as you guys know, and like MMA journalism, like you just don't always have time to do those passion projects that maybe don't bring money back right away. So with the brawl network, they already have everything established and we just need to step into that role. So that, that they took all the leg work out. They've been awesome setting everything up, man. And they're, they're as pumped about it as we are. So that's the other thing is when you get with other like-minded creative people that all have their juices going, they're all jazzed on it. It just makes you that much more excited. So when I knew that Dwayne and I had the chance to step in and, and do it the right way, you know, do it, that's came off a little wrong because I'm super proud of flow combat and I have no ill will towards flow sports at all. And what, what we did there was amazing, but to be able to take that next step now and really flesh it out because it did one of the funniest things. And this probably won't surprise you guys at all, but like Dwayne and I texted over the years since leaving flow. And we'd, we'd always like remember the good moments at flow and be like, man, if we could have just like kept that go, if it could have just been this, if we could have just taken it to the next level, like what could that have been? Like we've always wondered what we could have done together. So now we don't have to wonder anymore. Like now we get to actually go for it and and finish this thing, do it the right way. So that for me on a personal level, that's what's super exciting about this. And to be involved with the Brawl Network in general, you know, when I was away from MMA, I was covering NFL football, the Steelers. I was covering the Pittsburgh Pirates, MLB. So I was in other professional sports reporting and all of that is also under the Brawl Network umbrella. So it just feels like the job that was made for me in a way. Like this super fits my experience and my skill set. So I'm just excited to join that team and get jamming, man. But yeah, so Dwayne Finley and I, Bow and Glow MMA Show is here finally. And it is called the Bow and Glow MMA Show, by the way. I made sure to keep that. <laughs> Wasn't it? I feel like it was supposed to be like glow up with, with, with Bow and Glow or something like that. But uh, as long as the Bow and Glow is in there um 
You know, that's funny. You, you talked about the other things that they do. I mean, that was one of the things when you made the, I know you made the announcement along with Dwayne on, on social media that you guys were going to be coming back in 2021 uh, to this, to the combat sports sports space. But um, I instantly saw, of course I followed the, the brawl network and started looking at their stuff. And you just mentioned, I mean, it's, it's uh, funny. It's called brawl, but they do football. They cover all kinds of sports which you kind of already did when you were doing with the stuff with I forget the Pittsburgh thing yeah. that you used to but 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 like uh I mean you were heavily already doing uh football baseball so it's kind of like it's kind of like it, it's bringing all your favorite things all together in one little pot um yeah so I mean I I would imagine they they were familiar with they've been following you with the Pittsburgh stuff and that's kind of why they reached out to you does is that sound right Yeah, that that's exactly it, man. I mean, it it was funny because one of their their main guys, and I'm sorry, I, I don't don't know his position right now. One of the C-suite guys there is Michael Shoddy, and he mm-hmm. used to work at Bleacher Report at the same time that Dwayne and I were writing for Bleacher Report. But he he was the first Bleacher Report lead writer ever. I'm pretty sure he's told this story a couple times. I'm sorry if I get the details wrong, Shoddy. Don't <laughs> sue me. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was like the first guy that ever got paid to write for Bleacher Report. So he's kind of like this old school Bleacher Report alum. And he had known about me from Bleacher Report and from DK Pittsburgh Sports. And that's kind of what started the conversation. So it was just funny how that networking works, man. But you're dead mm-hmm. on with that because it, it is like the perfect fit for me. And it's funny that he comes from Bleacher Report because it's it's pretty obvious. Like already I'm two weeks into the Brawl Network. It's pretty obvious that like, the vibes are similar to that or like a flow sports kind of space, like this startup trying to take over the space, you know, balls to the wall attitude and just being proud of your work. And that's, that for me has always been it. I mean, Ed, you definitely know that just from talking to me at flow combat when we were there, like I I was always trying to push the bar creatively and do things that my team would be proud of. I wasn't concerned whether it got 500 reads or 80,000 reads, you know, of course, if it got 80,000 reads, I was stoked about that. But if it got 500 reads and we were super proud of what we did and we could grow on it and we really did something different, unique in the space, I was just as proud of that. Yeah. So I feel like that's very important. And Brawl Network definitely understands that early on. So that's cool. It's going to be a good space for us to be creative, but also kind of make waves and get that exposure that I feel like we can still achieve. Are you going to be able to continue as much with all your other coverage of, of all the other sports? And will that be with the Brawl Network or do you still have your other outlets that you'll continue to work with? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I, I'm still actually writing about the Steelers for Brawl Network now as well. So I that's just at my will, though, right now, honestly. Like, I kind of just have free reign to do what I want. But I left DK Pittsburgh Sports back in June to start my own thing, my homestech.com thing, my marketing consulting and all that. And that's not going away. Like I'm keeping all my same clients and everything in the local Pittsburgh region. So Brawl Network is really just getting added to my mix. So as I continue to kind of develop my brand and and do this thing, it's just going to be another part of the mix. But if things go as planned, you know, it may take over in a year or two and just be my full time thing. We don't we don't know right now. Obviously, we can't predict these things. But I do know that Bo and Glow get together. We're not going to half ass anything. So <laughs> we can't we can't go anything but 120 miles an hour. So I know how it's going to get. And I'm excited for that and excited to see where that goes. Well, that that's one thing. I mean, as far as I mean, since you guys kind of stepped away when you and Dwayne stepped away from combat sports, the one thing I noticed as far as, 
I mean, and again, I, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. I mean, everybody just kind of regurgitates the same fucking news and stuff. And it's, this is yeah. our podcast, so I'm allowed to curse. So, nice. <laughs> but, but, uh, you know what I mean? Like, like, like people regurgitate the same news from the same sources, MMA fighting, blah, blah, blah. And then everyone just keeps um, doing their own little version of stuff like that. The thing that I remember that, that what drew me to you guys when you guys were, uh, over at flow was was you guys were just unique storytellers a lot of positive energy mm-hmm. even even for anything difficult it was still it was still a good um what's the word i'm looking for it was it was nice insight to a story that was happening at the time right so i feel like that's something i don't i mean you, you can say whether you agree or not i don't know how you feel about coming back into the space if you're not trying to rub anyone the wrong way and i'm not trying to put you in the spot but i feel like that's something that's been missing um this whole time and with you guys coming back i i just feel like it, it's almost like it's funny because i remember I, I talked to Dwayne about it uh through text or something maybe a year or two ago um because i actually haven't talked to him lately but um it, it's almost like uh do you remember the end of the dark night uh <laughs> when, when it's when 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 uh, commissioner gordon tells his kid like why are they chasing him and it's like you know like so like like it's like you guys left because Things got so shitty, and and now now it's like Gotham City needs you again. You know what I mean? So. Hey, I'm honored. I'm honored. And for once, like you know me with the movie references, I never get them. I get this one. Like you, you got a hit. I finally saw a movie that somebody's talking about. That's great. But yeah, man. I mean, I definitely understand completely what you're saying, and I agree. And like I said, I I wasn't looking for this job, so it wasn't necessarily like I had this burning desire to like get back into MMA. But it was once I knew the opportunity was on the table, I really started thinking about it. And that's when like I was pitching it and right away, you know, he, he was all in instantly. I can't even explain how excited he was Mm. to find something like that as well, because like I said, we texted each other all the time and it was always like uncle Rico, you know, if coach would have put me in back in 83, we'd be (laughs) killing it right now. Like it was always reliving the things that we missed, even instead of celebrating our victories that we definitely had along the way as well and felt good. It was more so what we left on the table and just the kind of people we are that bothered us. So that's always been something that, you know, we left out there. So now we get the chance to actually go back, go for it. And like you said, man, the the creative energy is not going to change. Like, it does center around the podcast for sure. It's going to be more podcasting than we ever have done. So I'm excited by that challenge, first of all. But we can also write. Like we're also still going to be telling the stories and doing the same types of things that way. There hasn't been any discussion about a road trip, but I'm not saying that's off the table either. I don't know. We don't know where this thing's going, and that's kind of what's so exciting. So the door's open for us, man. I'm really excited to get it. And and like you said about the MMA media landscape in general, it really hasn't changed much in that, in that regard. And being on kind of the, when I was working for DK Pittsburgh sports and I got to see, you know, high level national reporting. The funny thing is that the principles don't really change at that level. I think maybe, maybe last time I was on the podcast, we talked about this a little, if we did, I'm sorry for repeating myself, but it was mm-hmm. kind of like the same principles apply. Like I still see people chasing clicks all the time and I chase clicks all the time because my boss liked clicks. That's yeah. money. That's money in his pocket. So I understand the business side of it. And I understand why people want clicks, but it's about finding that happy medium of things that are compelling because they're just that damn good. Like that is where you want to be. And I understand how hard that is. I understand how time consuming that is. That's what I'm hoping we can carve out here to where the the content is just so good that it's getting clicks by nature of its quality, not 
because, you know, Diego Sanchez just showed his schlong on OnlyFans or, or whatever's <laughs> happening right now. I'm not saying, I'm not saying I subscribe, Diego. It's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, with saying all of that, uh, are there any fights or fighters or any storylines that you look forward to without giving away maybe some of your, your future, you know, stuff that you're going to put out, but is there anything that you're looking forward of jumping into? Is there anything that as you look ahead to 2021 stands out as something you want to get involved in and start uh, talking about? For sure. It's been so crazy kind of watching the sport from afar in a way where before I could take you through prelims up to the main event and I would know every single fighter's backstory. I would know everything about them. You know what I mean? I could just talk about literally any fight on the card. Now, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I see some cards, and I don't know the fighter at all. Like, the the turnover on the roster has been absolutely insane to witness, and it really makes you appreciate people who are super dialed in, like you two, to the MMA space and how much research and just constant regurgitation goes into that and how you have to keep refreshing and resetting and everything. I mean, when I left, I left in December of 2018. So you got to think like how much has changed since then. It's absolutely insane to watch. I mean, the contender series existed back then, but it wasn't remotely what it is now. It hasn't created nearly the influx of new talent that it has now. So there's that. There's just all the turnover with champions and everything. Of course, I still tune in to watch the big fights and I don't miss, you know, good cards and things like that. Still, I still follow the sport loosely, but it's just not like it was before. So it's really funny to think like, I have, am I still even a hardcore at this point? I don't know, man. I don't know. Like I need to recapture that for sure. I need to get back into it at that point. But for me, and this, this is funny, you know, talk about, am I even a hardcore bro? But the big storyline for me is John Jones going to heavyweight. And I know that's the huge storyline for everybody, but I take it back to Madison square garden. I forget which card it was, but we were at a bar with Joe Silva one time, just, just chatting it up with Joe Silva. And we were just, riffing you know having some drinks and just riffing on our dream fights and joe silva for anybody like who's never met him just an awesome freaking guy that awesome matchmaker of the ufc for years and years helped build them into what they are but we were just riffing on fights that we wanted to see and this had to be you know 2015 16 range i would say mm-hmm. and he said that the one that he always wanted to do was john jones versus stipe miocic and that mm-hmm. was back then wow so that what's funny is how well that fight has aged even now, because at the time I was like, dude, that's the fight for me too. like that. When he said it, I was like, now that you put it out there, I need to see that. Like, I just need to know because there's so many ways that Stipe could neutralize John. And there's so many ways that John could neutralize Stipe. Mm-hmm. And I just genuinely have no idea how that fight would go, but I just got to know. So ever yeah. since then, that's been like the fight for me. So now that John moving to heavyweight is like a reality, man, that's it. And I know he's probably, not going to warm up with Stipe. <laughs> my bonnet, my monitor just went black. My monitor was like, quit, quit talking about this. We're taking it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know he's probably not warming up with Stipe, but the fact that that fight could happen in 2021 is like the most exciting thing that could ever happen in, in the UFC for me. Yeah. I, I um, it's funny that you, you kind of segued into my next question too. So like, like as far as um, you know, that that's a fight that stands out to you as that, could be happening in the future with everything going on but like as you're as you're making your return i'm sure you you've already started dipping your toes in the water to see what's 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 been happening or what's happening um did you have any opinion or any take on all the uh not because obviously they're not they they weren't cut but like uh anthony johnson 
Yo Romero and uh, Anthony Pettis going to PFL. Yeah. Like this is this is something the names like this going to where the the places they've gone to was something that you couldn't even really think about back right. when you were you know back then, and now you see it happening. I mean, when you see that when you saw that news pop up, what was your just what was your reaction? It's so weird to fathom that man. It, it's going to be weird watching them watching them fight outside the octagon. You know, they they're UFC fighters, and especially guys like Yoel and even Pettis. You know, coming off a great win, it's not like these guys are washed they're fine it's just the state of and we've known this even when i left like we've known that there was going to start to become some parity among the organizations and where you know being a bellator fighter is no longer means that you're second rate like people understand that now and that's great that's my favorite thing about it, is like just because you're in pfl doesn't mean you're not ufc quality Sometimes, of course, it might mean that, but there's some guys in PFL that can beat plenty of UFC fighters, and I think everybody understands that now. So I think that's really cool to see this kind of development, and Bellator obviously being the big one, the big kind of second-place guy. Um, I like seeing that people understand that the UFC isn't the be-all, end-all, because as you guys remember at Flow Combat, like we were always about the prospects and always about who's up and coming and why these guys matter, and we would constantly get people <laughs> responding to our articles being like, why do I care about this guy? And I'm like, this guy could be that guy on the UFC pay-per-view in three mm-hmm. years. If you just give it time, like they all start somewhere and their story is unique because of that. Like anybody, man, and I've said this a lot, anybody who chooses cage fighting as a profession deserves your respect. Like just on a surface level, there's a surface level of respect that goes into that because it's nuts. Like you don't want to do that. This is no way to live, but these guys willingly choose this. And they love it. They embrace it. The grind that they put into that. Like a lot of people will never understand the grind that a fighter has. And I personally don't understand a grind a fighter has because I choose not to. I know I'm not cut out for it. So I don't want to do that. So I just I just think it's cool to see when you see like a Romero go to Bellator. It's like no longer the smear that it once was. And, and that's just awesome to see. So I think even as we move forward in 2021, that'll become even less prevalent. You know, people will just understand there's great fighters all over the world, man. They don't have to be in the UFC to be good anymore. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see the continuation of this, and and not to. We had Chris Lytle on a couple weeks ago, um, and he man. he, without saying in so many words, basically mentioned that uh, for MMA fighters to truly be peak MMA fighters, there usually was some kind of uh, PED. He, yeah. I mean, that you know, that was a big part of the history of the sport. Now we have, now we, we have legitimate drug testing, whatever anybody's take is on OSADA. So I wonder if we're going to see a trend now where if guys are really truly getting drug tested, like an Anthony Pettis in 19, in 2004 might be able to fight till he's 45 years old. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to start seeing bigger names now kind of cut by the UFC because they make a good amount of money and they really can't stretch these guys careers out like they did so much in the earlier years of the sport. So I wonder if this is going to become a trend where we're guys now when they truly are kind of hitting the over the hill. I mean, historically we've always thought like 34, 33, 35, like you're at the downside of your career. I wonder if that's going to start showing itself more now uh, again, that we, that we have more strict drug testing at the top of the sport. So it's a really, it's a super interesting layer, man. I mean, that's something to track, obviously. And like the inverse of that is I've seen, you know, pictures of Vitor training for his fight in one and it's like, okay, he's back to being TRT. Exactly. Like, okay. 
I know? see, I see what happened here. But the thought of Romero on juice. What is going to happen there? Right? <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, a different species in that Bellator yeah. cage. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Let's do Romero Rumble and Rising. Oh, God. Let's just cut the bullshit out completely. Hey, and- <laughs> listen, I, I'm here for that. You guys know me. I'm so 100% here for that. Yeah. <laughs> All that. <laughs> you know, I, I have to piggyback on Matt's question, actually, because he brought up something that uh, I did a uh, I did some stuff with, with some of the guys from Sure Dog yesterday on another podcast. They haven't published it yet, so um, I'm, this is kind of a, uh, it's not a question, but it's something that I brought up, um, on it. And I feel like Matt just kind of mentioned something too. That I don't know if you caught wind of it. Uh, and, and, and I mean, this is me getting a little, a little corny cause I'm bringing up <laughs> the, the, uh, the class action lawsuit that's moving forward. Forbes wrote a pretty lengthy article about it. And, um, one of the things that I, I'm just wondering, and now I'm just curious of what your opinion is. Do you think all these names Big names and the and the cuts that are coming have something to do with the fact that they they probably caught wind of the lawsuit moving forward about about the monopoly and, and all that stuff and uh, letting these bigger names go and, and pursue free agency with all these other promotions that are kind of well enough to to afford these fighters. I'm just wondering if it's if it's if it's a chess game by the UFC to say, look, we're not as bad as the, this this suit saying we are. Look at what these guys are doing. Yeah. So I mean, this is actually for both of you, Matt, because I wanted to mention it to you too. I mean, so but Hunter, if, if uh, do you think that has something to do with it? I know that I know, like Ali Act and all that stuff was kind of just the whispers right. back when you were with Flow and stuff. Like, but I don't know. Do you, do you think that? Well, what's your opinion on it? I'm I'm, I'm being a yeah. tinfoil hat guy right I now. Like, but, yeah. Listen, man, I like the tinfoil hat, and I like where your head's at with this one because this is not an avenue I've thought of prior to right now. So I appreciate you bringing it up because it makes a lot of sense, like you said. You know, if Anthony Pettis is in PFL and Romero's in Bellator, how much of a monopoly are we really? So it's an interesting little avenue that the UFC could potentially play off of. But I feel like more than that, it's it's just kind of what I was saying before. This was the natural progression of the sport. You know, big fighters were jumping before that. It's just that now they are getting a little older. They're getting past their prime. I think back to like when I was real into it, you know, the Yushin Okami cut when they cut him, I remember people lost their minds because it was like, oh, he's fine. He's a middleweight, like this perennial middleweight contender. You know, he never won the belt, but he's always right there. John Fitch was the next one. Why would you ever cut John Fitch? Mm-hmm. How could you possibly let him go? I think we're just seeing that in a different form nowadays. And it just seems like it stings more because instead of Okami and Fitch, now you've got Pettis and Romero and guys like that. And it's like, these are higher level fighters, but that's the natural evolution of the sport. You know, the bad fighters are better than they were in 2015. Like that's just the, whatever you want to call it. Like the waterline is just higher now to even get in the UFC to begin. So it seems more dramatic now. So I, I mean, dude, I don't know if it has a thing to do with the lawsuit, but I will say, these fighters and specifically their managers who are make helping make these decisions, at least if not outright making them for them. No, like they would know they would, they would definitely know what they're doing if that's the case. So I'm not taking that off the table, but I also think it's hasty to say that definitely is what happened is happening. But I think it's a, a, Hey man, if you want to dig in and do some journalism on that, it's a good story. I yeah I don't know if it, I, I feel like the lawsuit has its own facts you know that are based off of a couple of years ago but if you were the UFC and you had a feeling like you were going to be dishing out some some cash to some people you might be looking to cut 
some high contracts. Um, I mean, we have seen the influx. You mentioned in the contender series. Um, you know, it's one thing to have one fighter make it from each show, but when you start having like four and five fighters get contracts on each show, um, you know, for every four and five fighters they bring in, that's usually a couple that are seen out, out their way out the door. And mm-hmm. if the UFC can, uh, you know, we talk about Pete Romero is one of those freaks who, who has these, mm-hmm. you know, who's a physical freak going into his older age, but for what the UFC has to pay him for one fight, they can pay 25 of these contender series guys. Yeah. Um, and with the right now with, you know, we, they put out that video. We talked about it a little last week and, you know, we, we joked about what we thought was funny and interesting on it. But um, one oh, thing yeah. I said is I don't necessarily believe the numbers because if you believe those numbers, you're not necessarily if you're the UFC thinking about cutting bait at the top of your, your thing. So, uh, you know, without seeing the pay-per-view numbers like we, we used to get better reads when it was on cable and stuff. All these numbers now to me are just numbers. They don't mean it, it unless until I see somebody, you know, kind of from the outside going, hey, that's you really what the UFC made. I I. I don't believe it's any more propaganda than the video that was put out, you know, in its entirety. So, yeah. Um, but, but I do feel like if the lawyers and the, and the stockholders and stuff in UFC were going, Hey, we might have to come up with, you yeah. know, a couple hundred million here or whatever the hell the number is, uh, it might be good to start getting rid of some of our aging fighters uh, before they really start costing us, you 100%. know, and, and, you know, and we only get a two minute fight out of Romero and all of a sudden <laughs> Pettis starts getting knocked out in a minute, you know, that, that doesn't, make them their their quarter million that they're they're paying those guys to fight so i don't know it'll be interesting right. to see uh i i you know i i kind of root for the cl- the lawsuit because you're always pulling for the fighters and you want stuff to mm-hmm. to explode and you know it, like you said if, if pfl and all these guys can afford these guys um that's only good for the sport because most of us can remember back to the wec strike force pride affliction ufc you know, days when it was like you just had super cards going on mm-hmm. you know, across the globe. So, yeah, and it, that goes. yeah, and it always helps the guys, too, when they leave the UFC and they have their first fight outside. It like extra hypes it, you know, like everybody's going to be way excited to see what Romero does in Bellator now, more so than maybe they would have been for his next UFC fight if it wasn't mm-hmm. for the belt. So I think it, it even helps their careers in many ways from just a brand and reach perspective. You know, me, Anthony Pettis, if he's getting in in the PFL tournament, A, my money is on Anthony Pettis to win it, and B, I want to see it happen. Like, I, I'm excited by that possibility that these things that were off the table before are now back on the table. So it spices up the sport in general. Like you said, like the Affliction Elite XC days where you could flip on any random card and you'd be like, oh, this card's sick. Like, I'm just so intrigued by at least three or four of these fights. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's cool to see that happening now, again, where it's not all – just in the UFC. And as much as I love the UFC and they're obviously still the, the tippy top of the iceberg, the iceberg in general is way more above water than it's ever been. So that's just cool to see. Hey, uh, I got, just because we mentioned Yoel Romero like 10 times already, <laughs> but uh, did you, have you talked to him ever interviewed him in the past? I haven't actually. No? That's crazy. Dude, yeah. I, just, I always bring it up. I mean, Matt, Matt's probably tired of hearing about it, but yo, that dude is a house. Like, I'll never forget. I think it was was it two seventeen or two thirty when he was uh, walking around the theater in Madison Square Garden, and I saw him from far away, and he was literally like a noticeable figure inside of the theater because of how big he is. Yeah, the fact that he makes one eighty five is just 
It doesn't even make sense. No, no. But I always like hearing fighters talk about him in a fight. Like I remember Luke Rockhold saying he felt like he was made out of concrete. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, that's the craziest description ever. Like imagine being locked in a cage with a guy and like you try to grapple him. Like you just clinch him and you're like, oh, shit, this guy feels like a column of concrete. (laughs) Like this is not going to be good for me. No. No, it's it's it's. I think it's it's going to be a scary time in Bellator with with Rumble Johnson and him there. I mean, I don't know if he's caught that that meme that I think I said uh, I Matt. I know Matt seen it, the Corey Anderson video he put <laughs> yeah. up yeah, with yeah. the kitty and the cookies. Yes, yes, yeah. That, that that's pretty much probably how that whole division has to feel right now. Unreal. I mean, you want to talk about just like. They're not the best fighters ever, but they are definitely two of the scariest fighters ever. And there's something to that. There's something just to that mystique of, I don't like, even if I win, this is not going to be fun. That, that kind of guy would just suck. Yeah. Well, if you look at, if you look at his fights with Whitaker, I mean, you know, like Whitaker had to take like a whole year off. Almost yeah. Every time, yeah. So yeah. You sacrifice a part of yourself to beat those guys. Yeah. You know, when one of the, one of the secret ways or not secret ways of making money in MMA, but the smartest way that I've ever seen uh, for the path is the guys to become Bellator champions and then work their way to the UFC. I mean, you see it with Chandler, you saw it with Alvarez. Those are two of the guys who signed two of the bigger um, free agent contracts in the history. Overeem being another one of them who, who worked the circuits to get to the UFC and then really cash in Mm -hmm. Um, to me, the winner in the Romero rumble thing is, uh, is Nemkov. Because now you've got a guy in Bellator who has – he just wiped out uh, Bader. And now he's got names like – he's got Musasi, Romero, and Rumble that he can go through. You, be, you, you clean the table with those three guys, become a free agent, you're going to be the hottest prospect in a long time in a light heavyweight division that has been hungry. Yep. We'll be hungry, especially at that point, I imagine, if Jones stays at heavyweight. Um, yeah. But Nemkov could be the one who turns this into a, a, a huge payday in the long run. And, and I mean – he has the most to gain, I think, out of out of those names joining the, the roster over there. Yeah, you nailed it completely there at the end, especially because he's a light heavyweight. You know, that's always been a money division, I think, historically in the UFC. That's, I mean, when I was first getting into the sport, you know, it was Chuck versus Tito, and then it was Rashad and Forrest and everybody else, Machida in there. And that, that was just the division. That was the place to be. And John Jones kind of came and took over and just – owned the place so it wasn't as fun for a while it was still amazing to watch his dominance but it wasn't the same kind of mix of contenders so I think like you said with Nemkov like it's really interesting to imagine what he can do now if he does run the table if he beats those guys man there you can already hear the super fight headlines that are going to be coming and everything Mm -hmm. like that's going to be the spiciest that division has been since Jones took over so that's it's something I haven't thought of man that's cool to hear you bring it up because now I need that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I mean, okay, you're, you you guys are, are making your return to the MMA space uh, 2021. And and it's funny because you, you guys did do a, a pretty interesting interview with uh, Kyoji Horiguchi, who's headlining. <laughs> he's one half of the, the main event at Ryzen 26, which I, I always call it the new pride. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they're doing their New Year's Eve thing. So it's funny, like, like y'all are coming back and right and, Horiguchi's coming back after his uh, getting his uh, his knee rested and and, and fixed uh, to to kind of correct uh, the history he's got with his opponent uh, Kai As- Asakura. Is that right, Matt? Am I saying his name right? Kai Asakura. Yeah. And um, so it's a uh, it's just I just feel like it's a funny coincidence. I mean, are are you is that something on your radar because you're coming back into the space or you're fa- obviously you're familiar with one of the fighters? 
Yeah. What, what's your take on that fight? Oh, 100%. I mean, Horiguchi's got to get the win back from this guy first. You can't go to Risen, rise and get knocked out by this guy. You know, that that was a not a great look for Horiguchi, who many people thought was going to just run the table in Ryzen and just be the man over there and do everything. And obviously, he had his great fights and has looked very good and got caught. But this is that moment, you know, GSP versus Sarah, whatever you want to call it. Like, if Horiguchi wants to cement himself, himself as the top-level fighter that everybody believes he is, he's got to get this win back. So that makes this fight extremely exciting to me to see what kind of adjustments he can make, what he can do the second time around. But I feel like Horiguchi is one of those guys, man, when we were down at ATT, it was crazy to see the way his teammates talked about him. You know, Poirier, Masvidal, Joanna, Amanda Nunes, like anybody that you asked about Horiguchi, they were like, he's the best guy in this gym. Like he's the most talented fighter out of anybody here, 100%. And when we were there, there were two people that were there the entire time. And it was Colby Covington. Dude, we were there for like 16 hours that day. Like it was insane how long we were there. So like the second we walked in at 8 a.m. or whatever it was, Colby was there. Horiguchi was there when we left that night, you know, however many hours later, Colby was there. Horiguchi was there. Like Uh, these, these guys put in the work and like to witness that firsthand was just a totally different level because it wasn't just sparring. It was strength and conditioning. Then it was striking. Then it was grappling. Then it was wrestling. Then it was sparring. Like just that day has, I don't even understand how you have the energy to go through that day, honestly. And to know that that's what these guys go day in day out and do and that's how they get where they are it's amazing so horiguchi to me like it's always interesting when you get to a professional level like one thing that's always interested me is like any ufc fighter is the top one percent of all fighters period but then you get to the one percent of the one percent like that's where the truly elite and special talent lives and that's where i think a guy like horiguchi occupies and just doesn't doesn't get the respect and the love that I feel like he deserves. But when you hear other professionals and other people who are at that level or very near it, talk about him the way they do, it just adds another dimension to this guy. So anytime Horiguchi fights, man, I'm all in on it. And and if if you guys haven't watched the interview yet, you have to watch that flow combat interview with Dwayne and Horiguchi because Horiguchi knows like three words in English. So it, I don't, it's just hilarious. Like he was such a good sport about it and had so much fun with it. And you can hear King Mo in the background giving him crap. So it's just, <laughs> it was an awesome interview. Like once again, not to see the way they respect Horiguchi as a fighter, which they all do, but the way they interact with him as a human being and just love his personality and everything is just infectious down there. So the Gooch is the man. <laughs> no, got to look forward to it. Uh, the one thing that's been pretty constant uh, despite the ups and downs in the MMA world has been new year's Eve in Japan. Yeah. Uh, I feel like maybe there was one year where, or two years where, where we we went without it, but um, they've kind of gone away from the freak show fights, which is something that was a a staple in the early days. And this card for Ryzen really is kind of the, I mean, it's got all their stars. I know a lot of people, I mean, you got to be pretty hardcore that you mentioned being a hardcore fan earlier. In the early days, being a hardcore fan meant you were following like four organizations right. and knowing what was going on in your local scene. Yeah. To be the hardcore fan now, like you literally, there's hundreds of events going on every weekend, and it's mm-hmm. just 
it's just so so there's different levels to this but um you mentioned horiguchi i i feel like he kind of falls into the the old school loss you know like in the back in the day guys used to bounce from ufc to pride to shooto to pancrase to rumble on the rock um and then dudes would get title shots even coming off losses because you didn't know that you know gomi went to Hawaii to fight BJ Penn and Jens Pulver's fighting Ludwig. You know what I mean? Like, so I feel like he kind of got lost. He, he could have played it safe. The easiest thing for him would have just been to stay in Japan. Keep, keep doing that. But he steady tests himself. You know, he fights the Bellator fighters coming over in Caldwell. Then he goes to New York and then he fights. Uh, I think that was in June. If I remember the dates kind of in order. And then, uh, you know, in like three months later, he's fighting this Ostakara kid who's, who's a up and coming, you know, basically a street fighter out of the streets of, of Japan. And, but a major, you know, his, him and his brother are big stars there. And he gets caught. Um, mm-hmm. And then he blows his knee out while he's preparing for a rematch. And then we've had this whole year now of, of nothing. So I, I feel like he's, he's kind of the guy who started the resurgence a little bit in the 125 weight class. Um, when, when Demetrius kind of disappeared, didn't disappear, but when he went to one, when he went to one, he basically fell off the map for a little bit of the, the scene. Um, and I feel like Horiguchi's fights became that exciting, you know, competitive fights. And, and now he's now with Figueiredo and, uh, you know, Garbrandt dropping down in divisions and Moreno and Roy. I mean, that's the UFC scene, but even in, in uh, Bellator with uh, Archuleta and, and Mix and all these guys, uh, a win here for Horiguchi really puts him right back on the top of that, you know, mountain, as you say, of the 1% of the 1%. And sure. again, I don't know if he makes his way back to the UFC, but you start getting super fight talk again uh, when, when a guy who, who's the Bellator and rising champion essentially right. uh, is walking around. Well, I'm way here for that, man. I love super fights. I always have, I, I like, and also you mentioned the freak show fights, which I also <laughs> love. So it's kind of sad that those are gone because they're just fun. I, I have nothing against fun, man. Like this is at the end of the day, it's still fighting and it's still entertainment. Like, I still expect to be entertained when I watch a card, and I know a lot of fighters do understand that, and there's a lot of mixed emotions on that. I understand when a guy wants to grind down his opponent and get the win as well because I know what that means for your career and how much that means not just for your career but also for your wallet. So I understand that side of things too, but I respect a good freak show fight as well. But Horiguchi, like you say, the the intrigue about a super fight to me is that it, it's – it strikes the same entertainment level as a freak show fight while also being the super highest level of competition possible. So that's the beauty of the super fight and what the situation Horiguchi finds himself in. So down the line, I was already thinking that as well, man. I was like, um, how long until he's challenging, like come, coming back into free agency and challenging the UFC, whoever's at the top at that point to make his comeback? Because even the fight against Mighty Mouse, you know, Horiguchi was so green back then he had his moments i'm not saying anybody thought he was winning the fight up to you know get submitted at the very last second i'm not saying anybody thought he was winning or anything but there was enough there that you were like man this kid shouldn't have had a chance but he actually showed some stuff like horiguchi has been at that level forever so i'm i would like to see it just out of pure you know selfish (laughs) put a cap on it i want to know how he would do again i want to see him win that ufc belt but also right now we need to just understand it's also really fun what's happening right now. Like this this kind of rematch, grudge match, like you said, you get caught. Like like I called it earlier, GSP Sarah. I don't know that anybody necessarily thinks that Kai is the much better fighter, but he definitely caught Horiguchi there and mm-hmm. won you know, definitively and fairly. So now it's up to Horiguchi to prove that he can bounce back and dominate him. It's, it's 
for me, and this is something that people I've noticed on Twitter, everything since I've been away, I've noticed a lot of people don't think this way. So correct me if you guys don't either, but like when a guy gets knocked out in a minute or two minutes, I don't hold that against him too much. People seem to think that that's like, Oh, you got your ass kicked so bad, bro. You got knocked out in a minute. It's like, no, you you got caught. Like that happens. If you beat me for 25 minutes straight and just Mm -hmm. dominate a decision, that's when you lose. That's when I saw it, dude. You you had nothing for that guy. Like you didn't have a chance. Yeah. That's the bad loss to me. And people think that a decision loss isn't as bad, but for me, like the two minute knockout, man, that shit happens. Like you watch the sport enough, you're gonna see it happen. So I don't necessarily hold it against Horiguchi, but I'm interested. I'm definitely interested to see how he'll bounce back. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, just talking about the the whole status uh, MMA. From when you when you when you kind of left and, and now coming back into it, one of the things that happened, and and I I feel like I remember both you and Dwayne having a reaction when it happened was when Horiguchi was the champ champ belt or and rising champ. I mean, if he picks up a win, I mean, we obviously we've seen. I mean, and Matt mentioning Mighty Mouse, just this is me going. You know, I'm getting crazy right now because I'm drinking and talking fights. But one of the things I'm thinking of is okay. You know, uh, obviously. Uh, Sakaki Barra is cool with cross promoting, and and Scott Coker is cool with it. I mean, what I feel like the way the sport's growing now, and everyone's trying to compete with, or 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 at least maybe try to outshine the UFC. I wouldn't be surprised if we, if we get to see uh, maybe maybe one throws Demetrius Johnson a a one off like why don't you test yourself against uh, if Horiguchi wins? Why don't you guys go at it again? Like uh, Matt said, he was green back then. Or uh, uh, but now it's uh you know it's it's a different story. I mean, the the sport has grown so much. I think I I think we can get crazy. Now it's not a freak show fight. It's it's a, a legit competitive match. Right, dude. How yeah. fun is that? I love yeah. the idea, and I love and I love. I mean, obviously, I would love to see that fight. I would love to see Horiguchi finally get. 800 billion eyeballs on him with one because according to one you know that's too many people <laughs> or Gucci, or Gucci finally gets the respect he <laughs> they're broadcasting to jupiter no, yeah, <laughs> exactly. it's like, dude, I, there's literally not as many people on earth as they say watch their fights so i, I don't understand what's happening there but it's fine <laughs> i do yeah we talked you know we said there's a lack of freak show fights but you know, not to, if you look down the card, there is one gift from the MMA gods that they're giving us. Manoa man returns to Ryzen. You want to talk? I <laughs> mean, that's New Year's Eve right Unreal. there. And he's, and he's fighting a heavyweight. The dude started fighting in 1996. Unreal. I can't. <laughs> like, like you said the name, I'm like, it can't be the same guy, right? This <laughs> is the Super Hulk champion. This is, the, <laughs> you know, that's beautiful. Oh, I mean, that's just that's incredible. Just the yeah, the grit. It's uh, you know, his listed fights. This would be his 116th MMA bout. That's hard to. I can't like you can't even fathom that. That's that's a whole different level. That's a Travis Fulton <laughs> level. You've reached Travis Fulton status at that point. <laughs> God, uh, but you know, again, uh, this is all takes down tomorrow. Uh, what, what I think start time is about uh, about midnight Eastern um, time tomorrow night. Some something crazy like that, but before uh, there's a couple other fights. Of the, I mean, the Gomi versus uh, who's, yeah. I, uh, they're doing that special striking rules. I don't know what they are, but that's like a special match for Gomi, and um, I forget his opponent's name. But there is a sleeper on the card. I, I know it's a lot of talent that people are unfamiliar with, but uh, Shinobu Ota versus Hideo Takoro, 
Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that that fight is going to be like a, a, a. If you've never seen, I think it's Bellator 136. I, I should have looked at. I, I have it saved on my DVR. I should have looked. Yeah. Uh, Hideo Takoro fought uh, L.C. Davis in Bellator, and that fight was kind of like. I mean, remember, I remember standing on my feet in my old apartment, uh, just cheering because of how good the fight was because of the action. That's back awesome. and forth in it. I mean, L.C. Davis, his jaw at the end of the fight, the bottom of his jaw was broken when he did his interview with Jimmy Smith, and Jimmy Smith came back on the mic and was like, "All the bottom teeth are gone." Uh. And um, yeah, and and then you know, I, 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 and and he won the fight. Davis won the fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so the guy and the guy he's fighting in Ota is like some standout wrestler from Japan. That I think I I I'm I don't know if if, if that's his debut. I think it might be his MMA debut or his pro yeah. MMA debut. But the dude is, uh, I mean, there's a, I, I shared a highlight footage of him wrestling where he flips the dude in a wrestling match. He just tosses him straight Bro. off the mat. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like right. we're going to see something crazy there on, on that level of, of what, of the, the type of, the type of MMA we're used to seeing from Japan. So I just want to put that out there. I feel like that fight is not on, on enough people's radar. That's awesome. I love it, man. I love when a card goes deep and provides that intrigue on a different level. Like that is clearly not a title fight, but sometimes just fights with a storyline like that are the ones that get me. Like I just want to, I, it goes back to like the foundation of the UFC when guys just wanted to know what martial art would reign supreme. Like I, I'm still super intrigued by that. Like I still don't think we have an answer. Isn't that like something funny to think about, you know, this many years later, that was the great question, but you still can't definitively say this this long ahead, you know, what martial arts the best. I still don't know. So I'm still super interested whenever it is like a clear stylistic mashup like that. You know, and, and only in Japan does does Takara, who's fought everybody from Hoyler Gracie to Hoist Gracie to Kron Gracie to, you know, everybody. I, mean, I saw him fight Brad Pickett uh, in a K1 yeah. event in 2006, I think, out here in California. Um you know he's he you know he's again got listed at sixty six career fights and he's fighting someone making their their debut. I mean <laughs> nothing says yeah. Japanese MMA more than that. I mean uh, and they you know Japan didn't treat their judokas and their and their wrestling stars. If you if you thought you could beat somebody up, they made you prove it. Right, you're fighting, you're, you're fighting one of the top guys. So, yeah, and you know, the, I, in pure MMA fashion, the crazy thing is Ota's probably going to smash him. He's probably just going to come out and look like a different species and just annihilate him <laughs> in wrestling. Like yeah, that or, or he'll get caught with a flying triangle. And be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> so, awesome. Well, I mean, again, this is a paper, the Ryzen's pay-per-view event. Uh, they did cut the cost. I think it's twenty four ninety nine, dollars uh, And I think they're offering replays, uh, which is good for the, the folk that, uh, that can't pull the all-nighter. Uh, but, uh, for, you know, if you're not, you know, we got a little slow period now for MMA. So any fans out there that are looking just to get their fix, uh, and are not necessarily used to the Japanese scene, this is, uh, this is quite the experience if nice. you've got the day off working can do it. So, um, I think that'll pretty much wrap us up. Uh, check us all out at allaccessmma.com. Fans can follow me at MMAHawk21 on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Ed at Carbizal on Twitter, Carbeerzal on Instagram, and OldHeadCarb on Twitch. Uh, Hunter, why don't you go ahead and throw away out all your uh, your handles and ways for people to get a hold of you? Sure. Thanks, man. I'm uh, at Hunter A. Homistech on pretty much all social. So it's Hunter A. H-O-M-I-S-T-E-K. Instagram, Twitter are usually the best. I'm also on Facebook and some other places, but all the actions on Instagram and Twitter. All the kids know that. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and and obviously the brawl network right because you got you got your uh of course i'm on brawl network now, so <laughs> yeah. that'll be that'll be my new home in the podcast with Dwayne finley bow and glow mma show i love the ring to that first of all i just like the i've liked saying it to people you know it's just nice so I, i'm super excited i can't wait for you guys to see some of these episodes we've got lined up we're already working on our guest list i promise you guys are not going to be disappointed it's not necessarily going to be, you know, an MMA hour style where there's always a third guest or, you know, a couple fighters on every episode. We're going to include, you know, MMA journalists. You know, you guys will probably be on it if you accept the invitation. You know, I want to talk to everybody. I like Done. Aaron. <laughs> nice. I like <laughs> that was easy. Easiest guest ever. Yeah. I want all angles of the industry, you know, coaches, managers, fighters. Like I said, I'm not just in it for the clicks. I want to tell these stories. I want to do it right. I want people to understand what really goes into the sport behind the scenes. So I think the show is going to be interesting and different. People are going to love it. And as you know, Bo and I are kind of, I don't like we're fighter friendly. We were never super journalistic because in pure journalism, you have to be unbiased and you have to, you know, keep all your fandom out of it. We're going to be fans on this show. Like, don't, don't get it twisted. We're going to be fans of these guys and talk to them like we're having beers and hanging out, not like we're interviewing them in the cage after the fight. So I think it's going to be interesting for a lot of people, and you'll get to see some different sides of these people. Jim Miller will probably show up naked and sing a careless whisper on a stream or something. So you can expect that for sure. So I'm, I'm excited, guys, and I appreciate you giving me the chance to, to kind of talk about it and have a little platform to help launch it off here. All right. Cool. Awesome. Well, happy, happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, Matt. Happy New Year, Hunter. Um, I guess that's that, right? We'll see you in uh, 2021. There it is. Happy New Year, guys. Hey, guys. Ed here, East Coast side of the Coast to Coast Combat Hour podcast. If you like what we're doing, make sure you subscribe on YouTube and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, if you'd like to help us out and donate, uh, the support links are in any of the uh, podcast descriptions and some the links are also provided on our YouTube channel, the blog board jungle. Um, thanks again for listening. And if you give us some support, we'll give you a shout on the podcast, maybe uh, bring you on for a UFC pay-per-view breakdown or two. Thanks again. <laughs>